All right, if you have your Bible tonight, please turn with me to Psalm 85, the 85th Psalm. And uh, I want to talk to you tonight briefly on the subject of a spiritual tune-up, the need for a spiritual tune-up. Do you ever feel that in your own heart and life? You recognize where you have at one time been for the Lord, how things were really moving along for, for you and your Christian life. And then all of a sudden, some, somehow, things begin to just hit and miss. You realize you're not in tune like you once were. And that so often happens in all of our lives. We need a spiritual tune-up. Reading from Psalm 85, I think you'll recognize that the psalmist indeed felt that particular need, not only for himself, but I think he sensed the need in the life of the people that he ruled over. Here's the way the verses read, and they're familiar, and say, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry, which is to say dissatisfied, displeased with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger, thy displeasure to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Pray with me briefly. Heavenly Father, we come again to this moment of opening of thy word. Lord, again, I pray for my heart, not for eloquence of speech and not for a good sermon, but we pray that you'd help us to be a help to these who are here tonight. We, Lord, long to see the spiritual fires burning in the heart of thy people all over this land. We pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts and speak to us and speak through us. May our lovely Lord, who alone is worthy of honor and glory and praise, be honored and praised and lifted up in these moments. What thou didst do, what you have chosen to do, we give you praise for it now in Jesus' name, amen. The child of God who has been saved by the grace of God has all of the essentials that he needs in order to make the journey through to heaven. The Bible is very clear and explicit in that. I referred this morning to the fact that we are complete in him, that in our Lord Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are secure in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But yet in spite of having all of the essentials that apparently we need, sometimes uh, our spiritual engine uh, is just not hitting on all eight cylinders. We're just skipping and missing and sputtering. And so I think David felt that as he penned this particular psalm. You know, I'll not forget some, uh, oh, a couple or three years ago now when I had my old truck before the Lord gave me a new one, uh, an old 83 GMC that had 316,000 miles on it uh, when I finally, uh, well, when it finally died on me. And uh, I'll never forget taking off one morning from my home in route to Memphis, Tennessee. Some take some uh, close to 500 miles. Well, I left, had a full tank of gas, good tires, everything that you could need in an automobile had a lot of miles, but all the essentials were there. I had an air conditioner, had very comfortable seats, uh, had a stereo tape player and a telephone. What else could a fellow need? And so uh, I was making my journey, got into Memphis about getting off time in the city. I turned on the South Parkway to go down to the southern part of the city to begin the meeting. Well, I recognized that the traffic had slowed to a snail's pace and I began to wonder what in the world's wrong up here. Finally, I discovered uh, at a, with a sign uh, way down the road uh, that uh, two lanes, two right lanes were closed and that meant there was only one lane left for all of that traffic to get by. Well, I just kind of settled back, a little anxious, afraid I wasn't going to get to the meeting in order and time to start it. But as I eased, eased along at that snail's pace, all of a sudden, that old truck started spitting and sputtering. I was displeased, I'm here to tell you. And all of a sudden, he just, I mean, just finally quit. Well, I thought, oh no, you can't do this to me now. And uh, I reached over and turned the ignition and it fired up and ran for about 10 seconds and then did like a lot of Baptists. I know just flat died in the middle of the road and I couldn't get it cranked. Well, I was embarrassed. People were coming around me uh, reading the Sunday school lesson to me and, uh, and uh, they were very kind. A lot of them came by and showed me that I was number one and uh, you know how that goes and, and, uh, and uh, I was embarrassed say the least well I my truck I couldn't move it and I just finally got out and walked up to the front and raised the hood and stood there looking at the motor now I don't know a thing about an engine I can hardly get a wheelbarrow going and but I didn't want that crowd to think I was that dumb and there I stood. I had my old rugged blown out tennis shoes on, my Liberty overhauls, a white t-shirt, and my Atlanta Braves baseball cap. Now you talk about a redneck buddy. I mean, I look like one. 
And there stood, all bewildered, looking under that hood. I went back, got in the truck. Finally, a, a fella came up, great big guy, looked like Santa Claus. And he walked up and he said, do you need some help? I said, do I ever? Would you help me? Can you help me? He said, get back in there and I'll push you over to the side. And so he pushed me over the side and I sat there still disgusted. And all of a sudden I remembered I had a telephone. I called a garage. They said, we'll be out in 20 minutes with the wrecker and, and pull you into the garage. Well, 45 minutes passed. Finally, the wrecker got there and they pulled me into the garage. I said to the man, can you do anything for this truck? Well, he said, I don't know. I'll look and see. And he lifted the hood, looked in there and uh, did, I don't know what he did. And finally he looked at me and said, why, sir, there's not a thing wrong with your truck except your fuel pump is just not working and you're not getting fuel in. I said, can you fix it? He said, I can. How long will it take? About 15 or 20 minutes. And I said, great. And he got it fixed and I jumped in the truck and you talk about scratching gravel. Boy, I let her rip. I wanted to see if that thing would really go. And finally, I was off down the beach. But anyway, as I drove down, I got thinking about that. And I thought, you know, that's like I am. I've got all the essentials uh, that I need as a child of God to get to heaven. Uh, but yet I just sometimes something goes wrong and things are not moving as they once did. And, and I'm just spiritually down and not running right. And uh, I realize that that's what David uh, seemingly was saying uh, in these verses of the scripture. Now, won't you look at verse one and you'll find a great essential, an absolute essential. And he says this, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. The word favorable talks of grace. Oh, how essential is the grace of God if any of us are going to get to heaven. Oh, if it were not for that. The preacher and I were talking this afternoon and uh, rejoicing over the fact of the marvelous sovereign grace of God. Why he chose me, I don't know. Why he saved me, I don't know. Why he gave me a home in heaven, I don't know. But I'm gonna tell you, grace is an essential. In fact, everything you have, everything you'll ever need, everything that you, that you require is given to us of the grace of God. You know, I, I had my father-in-law with me in a meeting and we were sitting in the motel and uh, I was reading the Bible and trying to get ready for the service at night and he is sitting over in the other corner reading the funny paper. And all of a sudden he said, Oh, he said, you got to hear this. I said, Papa, I am busy. I don't have time right now. Oh, he said, you got to hear this. And I said, okay, what's so important? He said, Dennis the Menace. I said, you can't mean it. He said, you've got to hear this. I said, well, tell me quickly. He said, Dennis and his mama had been to church and evidently they had been singing the old song, Amazing Grace. Well, Dennis didn't know any body named Grace except his aunt. And uh, he looked at his mama on the way home and said, what in the world, mama, has Grace ever done that's so amazing? And bud, I came unglued. 
I jumped up out of the chair and I said, boy, that's it. Grace is amazing. How can you describe the grace of God? We sing about marvelous grace of God. We sing about amazing grace. We sing about wonderful grace of Jesus. There is no word in our vocabulary that can adequately describe grace, but I'm glad, thank God, we can experience grace and we can know what it's all about in our own heart and life. You see, everything that we have is of grace. We have been selected by grace. We have been saved by grace. We are secured by grace. We're stabilized by grace. We have been sealed by God's grace and his Holy Spirit. We have solace, that is comfort, by his grace. We have the scripture preserved for us by the grace of God. And we'll partake in the second coming of our Lord Jesus all because of the grace of God. We ought to shout it out and just say, thank you, Lord for your marvelous grace. We are not here because we deserve to be here. We're not going to heaven because we deserve to go, but because God in his grace has bestowed this wondrous salvation upon us. So David said, I have grace. But watch this. Not only the favor of God is essential, but the freedom that God gives is essential. Look at the latter part of verse one. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Here they had been down in Babylon for 70 long years. And now the Lord had set them free. Hey, do you realize freedom is an absolute essential in our life? If we're going to make the journey free from the penalty of sin, free from the sins of the past, free to serve God, free as a child of God. And let me say this tonight, folks, hear me now. Don't miss this. If you are a child of God, you do not have to to be a slave to anything in your life. You don't have to be a slave to lustful thought. You don't have to be a slave to emotions that are contrary to the will of God. You don't have to have anything in your life. And if you have that in your life that is displeasing to God, it is because you have chosen that route instead of claiming the freedom and the victory and the liberty that is yours in Jesus Christ. That wonderful statement of Jesus. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free what? Come on, wake up. You can do better than that. Free what? Oh, that ought to take an offering. Y'all are half asleep, huh? All right. So what I'm trying to say is that this freedom isn't essential. If we're to serve God, if we're to be what we ought to be, free indeed we are. But look at verse 2. Oh, what a word this is. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all of their sin. Thank for just a fleeting few seconds of the sins of your life. Think of them. Think of having to face God with all of the sin and the rebellion and the wickedness and the hideousness of your rebellion against God. But David said, hey, God's forgiven us of all uh, the iniquity and you've covered all of our sin. And then the little Hebrew word selah, which in modern language simply means, what do you think about that? What do you think about it? God has forgiven you of all your sin. 
Oh, what a word is that word forgiven. To know that God has put all of our sins behind him, never to bring them up again, never again to pull them out of the file cabinet, never again to bring them up, uh, up on his computer. The Lord said, I have forgiven all of your sin. You know, I'm not a morbid fella, but I do delight sometimes in going through graveyards and reading epitaphs. You ever do that? Man, can you ever find some? I heard one the other day that said, here lies the bones of Mary Jones. To her life held no terror. She lived an old maid, died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. I like that. And uh, I heard about another fellow over in England and on his gravestone has written these words. Look all you who are passing by as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. And some wise guy got a piece of charcoal and wrote under that and said, to follow you, I'll not consent unless I know which way you went. Ah, that's brilliant, brother. Yes, sir. I kind of like that, don't you? You heard about the fellow who walked the graveyard and found a tombstone epitaph and the words read, here lies a lawyer and an honest man. And this fellow said, well, I've been dog. They buried two fellows in the same grave. <laughs> Uh, I hope I hadn't got any lawyers. But uh, I was not long ago up at old Macedonia church. I took dad who's 89 years old and we went up. He wanted to find the grave of his grandfather, my great, great grandfather who served as a, 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 as a soldier in the, in the Confederacy. And uh, finally we walked around and found it. And uh, I kept looking over the graveyard and I looked over here and there's a great big old cedar tree. Evidently been there long time and I saw underneath it a tombstone. I made my way over there and tried to read the name and the epitaph that was on that stone but I couldn't. So I picked up a little rock and I began to rub on it and finally I found the fellow's name the date of his birth, the date of his death and one word underneath was his epitaph and it was this word forgiven. I stood there and I thought and I wondered I wonder why they put that on his tombstone, forgiven. Maybe it was a wife who had been so brokenhearted over the unfaithfulness of a husband and she wanted the world to know by testimony that she had forgiven her husband of all of the heartbreak that he had brought her. Or I thought it could have been children who had a drunkard father and they said when dad was buried, we want the world to know that we forgive dad of that terrible life that he lived. I don't know why they put it there, but I'm gonna tell you something if you could go to heaven tonight and open God's book and if you were to find my name uh, you'd find written across every record of every sin of mine written in crimson red letters of blood the word forgiven forgiven all oh, to know that your sins have been forgiven and God will never remember them any, anymore and so then forgiven what a wondrous blessing truth. And then look at verse three, another essential. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Oh, how God hates sin. 
how God despises our wickedness. And yet David said, hey, the Lord, you've turned away from the fierceness of your anger. You show a friendly face to us now. And you know why? The only reason God can be friendly toward any of us is by reason of the blood of Jesus that's cleansed us from all of our sin. And God now has said, as Paul did in Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not in Christ, you're under condemnation and you're under the sentence of death and the sentence of hell. But I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad that he is turned from the fierceness of his wrath. Oh, thank God for that. And then he said at verse four, notice the plea, turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Oh, Lord, I know you're displeased. But Lord, it's not you who need turning. We need turning. Lord, you need, I just need to be turned around. A lot of times in traveling, sometimes when my wife's with me, we'll be going to a meeting or something and I'll get off the right road and I'll turn on some other uh, road. And uh, after a few miles, I'll say to her, you know, I really believe we're on the wrong road. She said, I do too. Turn around, she said, and go back and let's get on the... Oh, I said, no need to do that. We'll just keep going. And uh, maybe this road will come out way down there. So <laughs> yeah, I can tell some of y'all done that too. I'll just drive on and keep going. And maybe after a while, maybe, maybe we'll come out on the right road. Oh, how proud we are. Unwilling to say, God, I just got off on the wrong road. I'm talking to some of you folks right here tonight and you made a wrong turn in your life. You made a wrong decision in your life and yet your pride is keeping you from saying, oh God, I made a foolhardy mistake. I made a wrong decision and I, God, I need to be turned around. You're the one that's right and I'm the one that's wrong. Oh God, turn me around. I want to get back on the right track. Oh, if that's your case, get turned around. You can make the choice tonight and get back on the right path. Don't let the devil keep dragging you down and down and down by reason of your unwillingness and proud heart to say, Lord, I just made the wrong turn. And then notice what he says at verse five. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger all generations? I said this word anger suggests his displeasure, his dissatisfaction. I'm going to tell you, when that old truck stopped in the middle of the freeway in Memphis, I was very displeased. I was very dissatisfied. If you'd have come by and offered me $50 for it, I'd have probably sold it to you and given you back a little change. I was so disgusted. I didn't want to fool that thing anymore. And yet, in that what this is saying? The verse is saying, Lord, oh, I just need something done. And if you can fix me up, and if you can change the trouble in my life, Lord, I don't want you to be dissatisfied and displeased with you. There's no song we sing when I was a boy in the mountains. I am satisfied. I am satisfied. But the question comes to me when I think of Calvary. Is my master satisfied with me? Can you say he's satisfied with you tonight? Or have you made a wrong turn? Are you skipping and missing? What's happened to your prayer life? What's happened to the Bible study life? What's happened to your witness life? What's happened to your church life? 
life? Is, is there excitement? Is there thrill? Is there expectation, anticipation in your heart when you think about the things of God? Or is it just humdrum anymore? And is it, and it, is it somehow boring to you? My friend, we, have, we need a spiritual tune-up. I'm going to close by giving you four reasons why I believe we need to be tuned up. Number one, we need a spiritual tune-up because of our littleness of labor for Jesus Christ. How much do we really spend in labor for the Son of God? Could you stand tonight and tell us, I'm not asking you to, I'm simply saying, could you? Could you stand and say, hey, I spent 15 minutes last week visiting folks and inviting them to the house of God. Could you stand and say, I spent 10 minutes in prayer last week for the preacher and for the church and for my neighbors and friends. I spent time last week, five minutes passing out gospel tracts. Oh, how little we do for Jesus. You know, we pat our foot and I guarantee in your heart when your pastor stands here and talks to you about prayer and Bible reading and church faithfulness and soul winning and giving, I guarantee you pat your foot and say, boy, you're dead right. We need somebody around here to pray and we need somebody to get in the Bible and we need somebody to visit and knock on doors and tell others about Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, we talk about it, but oh, how our walk has failed to catch up with our talk. Am I right? Go ahead and shake your head. You know I'm dead right. We talk about it, but oh, how little we really do. How little we really do. I remember as a boy, I wanted to drive an automobile so bad. Oh, every time dad would start to go somewhere, I'd follow him out to the car and aggravating him to death. I'd say, dad, let me drive. Let me drive. 12 years old. And I was wanting to drive a car. And uh, he would say, son, no, no, you can't drive. And I do what your youngins have done and you have done. Why? I'd say, why can't I? He would say two reasons. Number one, you're not old enough. And number two, you hadn't got enough sense to drive. And the folks in Memphis probably agreed with that. But uh, anyway, he wouldn't let me drive. You know what I'd do? Second best thing. I'd go into Mama's broom closet. I'd get her new broom she had bought from Standard Coffee Man. And I'd saw the handle off of that. Go out my dad's toolbox, get a nail and a hammer. And on my way out, take the lid off of mama's five gallon lard bucket lid. Some of y'all hadn't even seen one of them. And uh, I'd put a nail right through the middle of it on that broom handle, go out to the hillside and buddy, I'd drive that thing in the ground. I'd get a pine knot for a gear shift and I'd get a chip of wood for a clutch, one for a, a brake and another for an accelerator. And bud, listen, you talk about traveling. I went all over this country. I, I don't know how many times went up to Canada and down over into Mexico and out to Los Angeles. I just went everywhere that is uh, in my imagination. Uh, but all I was doing uh, was sitting out on the hillside saying, nudin', nudin', you know, nudin', nudin'. I'd really get it going. And it reminded me a lot of Christians. We sit in the church pew and we're nudin', nudin' all the time. Nudin', nudin', we're ready to go. Nudin', nudin', we need to pray. Nudin', nudin', we need to be faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But all, oh, listen, that's not going to get the job done. Not at all. Oh, how little we labor for Jesus Christ. Listen, no man's ever been spiritually tuned up who wasn't ready to labor. 
I mean, he's ready to go. You get an eight-cylinder vehicle, it's hitting on four, and uh, you can't pull it. Listen, you couldn't pull Junior's little red wagon. It just, it's not able to do it. And yet, that's our problem. We're not pulling the load because of the need of a spiritual tune-up in our life and a spiritual tune-up means that you're running on eight cylinders, not just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday. That's what a spiritual tune-up does. And so we, our little labor, oh, how little we do for Jesus. And then not only that, but there's the evidence of the need of a spiritual tune-up when we see the lack of our love for Jesus Christ. Oh, we talk about loving him. I know if I were to ask this audience, how many of you love Jesus? Every hand in this building would go up. But do we really love him? Love is an action. It's not something that's simply passive. You see, love is an energy in the heart. Love produces, for example, faithfulness. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You'll be faithful to what I've taught you. Not only does love produce faithfulness, but it produces, it, it produces fortitude, or could I say courage? It produces plainer language, guts, do you understand? It'll give you some courage on the inside. In other words, you're not going to be worried when you're spiritually tuned up whether the folks that you're witnessing to is going to accept you and applaud you and put their arm around you and say, boy, I'm so glad you came over here and told me about... No, the courage is there. Whether they frown, whether they scold you, whether they cuss you, there is a courage inside that drives you and you want to tell people about Jesus. I remember when I was in college, I thought I'd remind you, being you would know otherwise. I remember when I was in college, I had a great big old long lanky roommate from Louisiana. And uh, he came in one day. I was studying hard, cramming for an exam. He came in and he's just, I mean, loud as I am. And he said, hey, Burl, hey, hey. I said, Tom. Don't bother me. I'm busy. I've got an exam first thing in the morning, and I've got to get this thing down. Oh, he said, I've got to tell you something. I said, it can wait. Oh, no, he said, it can't wait. You've got to hear this. I said, Tom, listen, don't bother. Oh, he said, I've got to tell you. Just listen, listen. I said, okay, tell me whatever's on your mind. Oh, he said, I met the most beautiful girl today on this campus I think I've ever met in my life. Oh, her hair was black like the slice out of midnight. Her eyes sparkled blue and clear. And he said, she had the most beautiful smile. Her teeth just sparkled like pearls. <laughs> and uh, one fellow told his girlfriend her teeth were like stars. They came out at night. But anyway, uh, Tom said, listen, I've never met a girl like this. And boy, he said, you talk about talent. This old gal can play a piano and just tear it up. Oh, he said, I, I, I've never met, listen, I was angry at first, but the more he talked, you know what happened? I got to thinking, I sure would like to meet her. I'll tell you that. And uh, isn't that the way it is when we love Jesus? When we're head over heels in love with him, all oh, people may resent it at first, but they cannot deny that something is down inside and it's a reality to us and we don't want them to know about our wonderful Savior. And so real love produces faithfulness. It produces fortitude, courage in our life. Can you imagine this scene? 
Here's a mother. She's standing at the window washing her dishes. Out in the backyard is her little child playing. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of her eye, she catches a dark object that's jumping over a fence. And when she looks to see what it is, she finds it's one of these big old strong got to finish washing these dishes. And not only that, but if I go out there and get between my child and that dog, the dog will hurt me. And I'm not about to go out there and let that vicious animal attack me. Oh, no. Not a mother who loves her child in this house would even have the slightest thought of that. She had risk her life to save that child. And I believe that's what happens when we fall in love with Jesus and we get tuned up. Oh, when we love We're not worried about whether somebody's going to like it or whether they're not going to like it, whether they're going to applaud us or whether they're going to jeer us. Ah, a courage is there, a burning love for Jesus. And then thirdly, there's the looseness of living. Oh, how loose our Christian world is today. There used to be some standards in 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 the church world. You could tell a difference. But you go out now and you find the Christian crowd so-called in the same old hill holes and dance halls and honky-tonks, watching the same old X-rated and R-rated movies, reading the same old pornographic magazines. Oh, listen, I'm going to tell you, the Bible says, if it says anything, that you and I as a believer ought to be distinct. We ought to be different from this world. Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I'll tell you, a Christian who is conforming his life to the standard of the world and the Hollywood instead of the Holy Word, he'll never understand the perfect will of God for his life. Oh, there needs to be a tightening up in our lives that men can tell the way we walk and talk and where we are and our ambitions in life that they're different than those of the world. And last of all, and I close with this, I believe there's a need of a need, a need of a spiritual tune-up because of the lostness of our loved ones. Oh, how many of you have friends and neighbors and family members that are lost? And oh, yet, how unconcerned we seem to be. How long has it been since you shed a tear over somebody's lost, known as road to hell? How long has it been since you lost any appetite for food? Because when you sat down to eat, somehow the burden of heart just swept over you and you were so concerned about that loved one. How long has it been since you lost any sleep? Because you were disturbed over a friend, a fellow worker, a family member, and they were lost. Listen to me. I believe if the burden for souls will ever come back on us, we're going to see men and women come to Jesus Christ. I remember my old grandmother on my dad's side we used to go up to Lula Falls Church and your pastor's been there and he and his wife and uh, grandma would always sit about three seats from the front. She had an old hump back, old, wrinkled, but oh, she had a heart for people. And I remember when the mountain preacher had finished his sermon and give the invitation, I'd see grandma, she'd turn around those old stooped shoulders and she'd look back toward the back and directly you'd see her just focus on some individual. And sure enough, out of her seat, she'd come and shuffle down the aisle and go back there to that individual, put her arm around them, 
tears flowing down her face and I'd see her say something to them and before I knew it that person was weeping and, 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 and soon the person just come out of the seat and down the aisle and it'd take grandma three or four minutes to get down there with them but she'd follow them down oh how many have come to Jesus because of that oh, I think too of the burden of the souls of men for the souls of men. I think I was out in, uh, uh, let me think, Newton, Mississippi in a revival. And after the first service, a dear lady in her middle to late forties came up to me and she said, preacher, I want you to pray for me. And she was weeping. And I thought, here's an unsaved woman and she wants to get saved. I said, what's your trouble? Oh, she said, it's not for me. She said, it's for my darling husband. You see, he's not saved. And she said, I've been trying to get him saved. And she said, I can't stand the thought of my dying and going to heaven and him dying and going to hell. We'd be separated for all eternity. And she said, will you pray with me for my husband? I said, I sure will. I had a brief prayer that night and daily we prayed for a husband. On Thursday night of the meeting, I looked and down the aisle in the door came this this woman and her husband sat down about three seats from the back. I gave a simple message of the gospel, invited folks come to Jesus. And listen, the first man down the aisle is that woman's husband. He didn't walk, he ran. Like to knock me over when he came down, threw his big old arms around me. And here's what he said, preacher, I, he said, I gotta get saved, I gotta get saved. I said, what do you mean? Oh, he said, I gotta get saved, that's what I mean. And he sa I said, all right, you've come the right place. And he bowed in the altar with the pastor and the pastor led him to Jesus. When he got saved, his little wife shouted all over the house. Oh, she had run down one aisle and come back the other. Big old tears just streaming down her face. And she is saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for answered prayer. And she had kind of cool off and I'd ag her own a little, you know. I was enjoying that. And uh, we all rejoice in the salvation man. After everybody spoke to him, gone, I started home. I walked over to him and I said, I want to ask you something. I've had a lot of people come forward and say, I'd like to be saved. I want to trust Jesus. But I said, I don't think I've ever had anybody say to me what you said. When I asked you, why have you come? You said, I've got to get saved. I said, why do you say it like that? Well, he said, preach, I just had to. Wasn't any other way. I said, how is that? He said, and I'm going to tell you his words. He said, I have lived in hell for the last six months. I said, what do you mean? Well, he said, I'll tell you. He said, when I'd come home from a long day's work, my dear little wife would have a good hot meal, my favorite foods on the table, and we'd sit down and start to eat, and she'd sit across the table from me. I'd start eating. I'd look across the table to where she wasn't eating, and I'd look at her, and she's crying, and I'd say, honey, what's wrong? And she'd say, darling, you're not saved. And I don't want to think about dying and going to heaven and you dying and going to hell. I just can't stand that. You've got to get saved. And he said, it'd make me so all fired mad. I'd jump up from the table and stomp out of the house and slam the door. Did it time and again. But he said, uh, she'd just keep praying and crying. And he said, uh, a few nights ago, I, we went to bed and he said, uh, I fell off to sleep. About 2.30 in the morning, I woke up. I was aware the bed was shaking. And he thought, I wonder what's wrong. He put his hand over and his wife wasn't in the bed. 
He said the little street light was shining through the bedroom window. And I looked over and there she was down on her knees. And she was sobbing her heart out, unaware that she's shaking the bed and just crying. And he said, she is praying, Jesus, I don't want my husband to go to hell. Oh, you've got to save him. And he said, preacher, I couldn't stand it any longer. And he said, I just had to get saved. I believe if our hearts were burdened like that, we'd see a whole lot of our loved ones coming to Jesus too. I'm glad I had a, had a godly mother. And time and again, I'd come in at night, late at night, and I'd hear her in the bathroom. I'd peep through the little crack in the door, and Mama's on her knees, and she'd be praying, Jesus, save my boy, save my boys, save my daughter. Oh, listen, I'm glad I had a mama who was concerned about my eternal destiny. Do you need a tune-up? What's happened to the burden of heart? What's happened to the standard of living, the straightness, the separation? What's happened to your love for Jesus Christ? What's happened to your labor for him? Oh, do you need tuning up? I believe I'm talking for every one of us. I think I can hear you saying in your heart, yes, Jesus, I know you saved me. I know I'm on my way to heaven. But Lord, I've just been kind of mechanical in this thing. My heart hadn't been in it. I've just been skipping and jumping. And Lord, my life's not where it once was. I need you to tune me up. Listen, if you'll call Jesus, he'll send the heavenly wrecker and he'll pull you into the garage and the chief mechanic, the Holy Spirit, will lift your heart and look inside and I guarantee you, he knows the right diagnosis. And you may be hearing him say, hey, it's this place you've been going. It's this attitude you have. It's that spirit of unforgiveness. It's that spirit of being uncooperative. It's that spirit of worldliness. You need to let me handle that. And if you'll turn it over to him, Oh, you can leave this house tonight hitting on all eight cylinders for the glory of God. I pray you will. Let's pray together, please. Every head bowed as we pray. Heavenly Father, how often I have to come to you and just ask you to tune me up. Lord, my old spark plug spiritually get all gummed up and sometimes we're not hitting right. The engine of our spiritual life is just not running right. Lord, sometimes we just have to let you look inside. Like David, we pray of old, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me on the right path. Oh, may we let you look inside. May we not draw back. For I know, Lord, what you're dealing with us, convicting us about, is that that's damaging and destroying and making our lives so unfruitful. Have your way now in this moment, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Please stand with your heads bowed as we continue in this moment of prayer. I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. I know many of you, most of you are saved. But all do you have a hunger in your heart to just get tuned up spiritually? And if that's the hunger of your heart and the need and the awareness of your life. There was a day when you used to witness to people. There was a day when some of you precious young people had talked to your buddies and friends at school. Oh, I know you're saved, but you've lost the spiritual fervor and burden of heart. While we sing a stanza of Have Thine Own Way, Lord, if you're saying, Oh God, 
I need you to tune me up. I want you to step out of your seat and just walk down this aisle and bow around this altar and tell Jesus, tell him what he's dealt with you about and just say, Lord, tune me up. I'm not where I ought to be. God, help me. Would you do that? Come on, others of you right now as we sing together. Have thine own way.